I find it really interesting that in a culture that is saturated with sex and sexuality, that the church is very sheepish about talking about it. Whether it's from education to entertainment, public policy to public washrooms, <laughs> parades, clothing, we are inundated, we are saturated with a culture that is fascinated with sex and sexuality. But perhaps that's the reason we need to be able to speak and to speak clearly about what God's design is for sex. In this area of life, social norms are being pushed further and further away from God's intention. And I think everyone agree it's getting so complicated. If you listen to the CBC, which I do when I'm driving my car, there's whole talk shows filled with discussions like, is gender a social construct? Is monogamy healthy, natural? Set against this backdrop, we have a very clear an uncomplicated will of God that is revealed through Scripture regarding sexuality. And this is our verse for today. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. What I find interesting about that statement is that how out of step it is with our culture. Because the trajectory of the world's view of sex and sexuality is to separate it from any morality. Whereas God's design is that sex is moored in what is right and wrong. The message of the world is that all sex between consenting individuals is acceptable. God's design for sex is that it is either right or wrong, good or bad, pure or unpure or impure, moral or immoral. See, sexual behavior of two sets of partners can be right and moral and pure for one couple and the opposite for the other. And it all depends on what the writer designates as the key, and that is marriage. Marriage should be honored by all. Now, because our world is moving so fast away from God's design, it's hard to believe, and I wouldn't have had to do this probably 30 years ago, but I need to define marriage when I'm talking about this topic. In the past 25 years, our culture has sought to define and design something that only God has the authority and the right to design and define. It has been grappling with the definition of marriage. 
largely ignoring the fact that God defined marriage at creation. In fact, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he's actually asked about divorce, but he kept it to marriage. He referred to the account of God's creation of marriage, which happened at creation. In Matthew 19, this is Jesus' words. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now before we, we continue with that exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, let's go to the creation account in Genesis 2 and read in Genesis 2 verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's ribs, man's ribs, and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now let's get back to Matthew 19. Jesus continued, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So based on Jesus' response, what constitutes a marriage? The essentials. One man and one woman. Entering into a God-ordained covenant. We read in Malachi 2 about the marriage covenant. The prophet is accusing Israel. He says, you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And so marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman. It is God-ordained. It is lifelong. What God has brought together, let no man tear apart. In which the man and the woman enter into a physical and emotional intimacy that we call one flesh. And it's public. It is known to family and friends that a man and a woman have become one flesh in our marriage. Now historically we know that the union was initiated by a ceremony called
called a wedding, and eventually society became more complex and marriage became uh, a legality. But the essentials, according to Scripture, are right there. One man, one woman, entering into a God-ordained covenant, a lifelong covenant, where they become one flesh, both physically and emotionally, and it is recognized by others. So it simply is black and white. Sex was designed for married couples. And we know what marriage is. Any sex outside that God-ordained covenant is sexual immorality. And we are to abstain from it or suffer his judgment. I have two more thoughts for those of you who are still holding your breath. A few thoughts about sexual immorality or impurity. But what is included in sex outside marriage? Obviously, we've already stated that anything outside of marriage is impure. But there's one more thing that needs to be mentioned. To God, sex can happen in our thoughts. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so we need to understand that sexual immorality includes fantasizing over others who are not our spouse. And here's the last thought. Can sex in marriage be impure? Let me read from 1 Corinthians 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual liberality is, a, is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul, when he's going to say something that is his opinion, he tells you his opinion. But the rest of it you take as God's word. And so the part about, you know, men should not have sexual relations with women is his opinion. Because he sees value in abstinence. But there's a control issue here that needs to be mentioned about sexual purity within marriage. And it is this. He's referring here to using sex as a control over your spouse. Denying 
perhaps. And that is totally out of order. To use sex within marriage for any purposes other than to lavish love, to grow in intimacy, to bless our spouses, is wrong. And I would say is impure. So yeah, I believe that sex within marriage can also be impure. If it's done out of selfish reasons and not for a blessing to our spouse. So to conclude, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to become more and more holy like him. And this is an area that is holding back many. Being so immersed in a sex culture, many are failing in this area of their lives. In writing the church of Thessalonica, Paul indicates the danger in this. Let's just read from 1 Thessalonians 4. Verses 3 to 8. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before God. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so Paul is connecting in the Thessalonians' uh, view and in their minds, he's making sure that they understand their pursuit of holiness is partially contingent upon sexual purity and avoiding sexual immorality. God has clearly revealed his design for sexuality in Scripture. Please hear this. Any and all rationalizations for sex outside of his definition of marriage usurps God's authority and seeks to justify sin. Now, I have deliberately avoided many and any sexual or listing any, or naming any sexual sins. And I've done that on purpose. It's to avoid establishing some kind of hierarchy. Hierarchy of sexual sin. There is no such hierarchy. No one's sin is more or less offensive to God. It is all offensive to God. It is all sin. It all results in his judgment. And so as the writer writes in that short little verse, which comes after treating people that are suffering, and before that, hospitality, and before that, loving each other as brothers and sisters, he says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. Help us to hold fast to it. 
Help us to see as you want us to see. Help us to resist the temptation to allow our culture, which is moving further and further away from your definitions and your designs, sway us. Help us to stop defining things ourselves and trust in your definitions and your designs. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would stand firm in this area as it has to do with our holiness. You've called us to be holy as you are holy. Help us in this area, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.